This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. We're at the mid-halfway point of the year, sort of, save for a few weeks, so Dakota and I wanted to do a mid-year check-in. We did something similar last year in episode 160, or 160, for layman, uh, where we gave our best and worst picks midway through 2021. But this year, we're going to keep things more positive, and we're just going to talk about our favorites um, from 2022 so far. So Dakota, leading up to this episode, you mentioned to me that you felt like you hadn't seen enough. Have you caught up yet? Wait, so I don't need to talk about the bubble on this episode? <laughs> are we going to talk about that? Uh, no, we are not going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, I still feel like I'm behind because... I don't know. Be- because I don't see every new release that comes out, especially with, with streaming ones where it's even easier, where you know Netflix you mm-hmm. know, pumps out three new movies a week sort of thing. So I, I'm very picky and choosy about what I'll watch because for the first few months of the year, I'm still catching up on last year's movies, Oscar stuff, things like that, making my year end list, whatever I missed. And then you kind of get to that like late spring period where or spring period where there's nothing good coming out. And you're just like, I'm not going to just watch a movie for the sake of watching a movie. And now we're in like the blockbuster time. And usually there's, you know, some good blockbusters, but there's also a lot of stuff where I'm just like, I have zero interest in this. Who is this supposed <laughs> to be for? Looking at you, Jurassic World. Um, <laughs> so it, it's tough because like I've seen, I'm looking at my letterbox list. I've seen 26 new movies this year. Several of them are from festivals that I've just been watching in the last couple of weeks. And even then, uh, are, they're a little tricky. Like we just covered the Toronto Japanese Film Festival. And some of those movies I'm able to count as movies from this year, but for the most part, they're either one or two years old. And even though they're getting their Canadian or world premiere, international premiere, it, I, I don't really consider that a 2022 movie. It's, it's really tough for that. So I can't really consider it. Stuff like Fantasia, where it's all new releases, it's a little bit easier for me to do that. So several of... Uh, Movies that I've really loved this year, I've seen at Fantasia Festival, which, much like last year, it is an amazing festival, and you're going to hear our recap of that after the after it's all said and done there. But yeah, I've seen I've seen 26 movies. I'm sure I'm missing some big ones. I haven't looked at like what are the the best reviewed movies of the year so far and seen which ones I, I haven't seen. Probably Hustle is probably a big one that I haven't seen yet. I know, I know you saw it and you were you liked it, but you didn't love it. I don't think they'll make your top five list here. Other than that, I don't think I've met I've I have any egregious errors here of like how did I miss this movie sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I did not. That was fine. Whatever. Yeah, you, I, if I remember correctly, you, you liked it, but you didn't love it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that a lot. Like you mentioned, how like Netflix turns out a lot of movies. I was gonna say like I don't think any of those Netflix movies would ever have made your top twenty. Really, there it, there's just a lot of movies out there. I think this year that have been fine, but I mean, I guess you could say any year. I shouldn't say it's this year. The majority of movies, I think they're they're like fine, but they're not. You don't go crazy for them, which is why I think that like top 10 lists, top five lists are kind of precious space because those are the ones that actually stuck with you amid the crazy number of movies that come out every single year. Um, yeah. Were there any movies that you you know that you've missed and that maybe like given the response to it or given um, like the reviews on it, 
that you think that you would have liked to see and like include on the list? You just haven't had time for it. Um, yeah, that's what I was kind of saying earlier. We're like a hustle. Maybe I don't know the, mm-hmm. the new Netflix movie. The sea beast kind of looks interesting. Uh, spider head, but also then we're going back to like these, these Netflix movies of, of whatever, Good luck to you, Leo Grand. I know, uh, I know that oh, kind of nice got some good reviews, but yeah, other than that, no, I, I really don't think I've, I've, I've missed anything too important good. that isn't going to be making my list. I suppose. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So before we start off, I just want to mention that myself and a few of the other writers on that shelf, we did an article about our mid-year top five picks and. I decided I'm not going to repeat myself, so I'm not going to use any of those movies that I talked about in that article, um, the five, and then I did a a couple honorable mentions as well. Um, But go check out the article. I'm sure Dakota will very kindly link it in the show notes, as he always does. Um, And just for the record, After Yang was my number one pick for, and it still is. I think that's my favorite movie of the year so far. I really enjoyed that one. Um, But with that out of the way... Dakota, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give us your first pick and explain why is it Morbius? <laughs> well, uh, it's not Morbius. <laughs> and the reason why is because we're going in alphabetical order. This is sort of <laughs> doing however we want. Uh, so, you know, Morbius does not come first alphabetically. So you're going to have to wait a little bit to see if uh, if we make it to the M section and, and if it pops up there. But uh, I'm going to use your terrific little That Shelf uh, connection and make a great segue. My first movie is After Yang. Come on, Yang. What are you doing? Come, come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not going to buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. This movie, I was, I was been so excited for. I loved Coconata's first movie, Columbus. It, it's such a beautiful movie. It's one I, I always recommend to be to people. And I feel like just no one watches this movie. No one has seen this movie. It is so delicate and beautiful to look at, and heartbreaking and funny, and some phenomenal performances. And just about the best cinematography I've seen from a modern movie. The way architecture and buildings are shot informs so much about it so knowing that he had a follow-up i was like oh yeah i'm super excited and then you start hearing things like it's a sci-fi movie i'm like okay coconut doing sci-fi let's sort of see where that's at he's you know he's not steven spielberg doing minority report or uh christopher nolan with interstellar that's not really his style so what's a what's a coconut a sci-fi movie look like and then it's colin Farrell's the lead it's like okay all right, I, you know, Colin Farrell has this ability to be understated, and Columbus is a very understated movie. He's got John Cho and Haley Richardson in that movie. And I've recently really become a huge fan of Colin Farrell's acting, especially mm-hmm. his work in Yorgos Lanthimos' movies. And mm-hmm. he has this ability to be so delicate and soft and and 
a, a plain faced. I don't. I, that, that sounds like an insult, but it's not. And for some reason, this minimalist acting technique works so well with him. And I and I've really grown to appreciate him. It's it's almost like the chaos from his career at the beginning. He's been able to turn that into some zen. And so I'm like, okay, Colin Farrell in a coconut movie. You've got my interest. And it's not what you expect for a sci-fi movie. He's got these big grandiose ideas, stuff that would very much fit into a, a minority report or an AI or things like that. This concept of having robots as family members. We've seen we've seen stuff like that before, like I mentioned with AI or maybe um that Robin Williams movie, Millennial Man, things like that, where we've seen we've seen that concept before, but done so completely differently. And it's this quiet movie about what does loss mean in this futuristic world where someone dies in the family, but they're not human, and you can still access their memories, and how do you keep their memory alive, and how do you deal with grief, and how do you teach your young children how to deal with grief, and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, you watch it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a Koganada movie. It makes perfect sense. It's just this tagline of Koganada does a sci-fi movie with Colin Farrell. And immediately you're like, yeah, we saw that. It's called Minority Report. (laughs) (laughs) I found that movie, there was such a switch in it because there's a point where I really thought the movie was going to go down a path of like a Minority Report kind of thing, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. it was going to be about... Yeah, I thought it was going to be about, you know, um, privacy and the government and, you know, they're using these robots and these AIs to get into the houses of of, um, citizens and things like that. That's what I thought the movie was going to be. And I thought it was going to be like Colin Farrell running down the street with flash drives. (laughs) You know, like that's kind of what I pictured Mm -hmm. after, after that moment in the shot, because I actually didn't know much about the film going into it other than Colin Farrell cognata like that's all i knew and sci-fi i think those were the three things that i knew about it um but then the movie just kind of turns into this like you just so perfectly said just like it's a really quiet meditative film and the thing i took the most away from it was like i i like that idea of you know what memories do we choose to keep like what it was important enough to us to or for um, in that film specifically, like an AI to say, this was, this was a moment worth capturing in my memory oh, bank. Yes. And it was never big moments, right? Like it's, it, they were always quiet moments or just really simple everyday things. And that this non-human thinks this is something worth it. And it just, I don't know. I I love, I love after Yang. And I think it's going to take a lot to beat that off of um, kind of the number one spot for me, like looking ahead to a top 10 of the year. Um, who knows? I mean, like the the second half of the year is usually when the, the bigger films come out. But yeah, I, I absolutely love that movie too. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think, I think this movie has some very interesting things, you know, that, like you were just saying, the concept of what is a memorable memory, I think is sort of one of the keys to this movie because it, you, you know, if you're writing a script, you're 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 trying to write a big Hollywood movie. And you're like, okay, robot remembers things, and it's you know, the birth of a child, it's the wedding, it's you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever the you assume are the biggest moments in life. But it's not that you you think about some of your fondest memories of with family or friends or other loved ones, and it's it's the little things. You know, mm-hmm. there's this a yeah. family photo that he's taking. And he's putting this old analog camera on a tripod. Oh. 
This takes place in the future, so that's why I'm saying old analog. Uh, and, and the family's all standing there in the frame, and he's focusing, taking his time, winds the camera up, puts the timer mm-hmm. on, and they're like, hey, come get in the photo. And it's just this this moment of pause of this is happiness. This is yeah. this is something I want to remember. And you almost see him it's fine because we, we get a we get to replay his memory banks and see which is memories. And you, you see him stand up and it's almost like you see him instinctively like pressing record in his head of like, this is what I want to remember. And yeah. we all have done that in our lives of this is a good memory. I want to remember this feeling. It reminds me of, I mean, in a much less sophisticated way, but there's a Friends episode with Alec Baldwin when he keeps taking, uh, I can't remember what phrase he uses in the episode now, but he basically is like, he's like, click. Like he just think like, oh, I just like took a, a picture, picture from my Yeah, I think, was that what he said? I, remember, I just remember he just like, click. And it was very funny in the time because Alec Baldwin at that moment was very funny. Yeah. Today is a bit different, but like back then he was a real <laughs> jokester. It was real great. Um, yeah, I, I love After Yang. It's excellent pick. And I'm glad that you liked it so much too. Like there's always a thing that after I watch a movie and if I really enjoy it, I really have my fingers crossed that you like it too. So I'm always <laughs> like, I really hope Dakota likes this one. Yeah. Otherwise we're going to have a problem. And luckily but, I feel like we've been, we've been in sync. I feel like the last, the last few times that I've really liked something. Yeah, absolutely. And like watching this, is this not like a, a complete Dakota movie though? It is. Yeah, it is. I would say like it's it's I'd say it's it's both of our movies perfectly, but maybe even for different reasons and in a a weird Mm -hmm. way. Like, but it's just it's such a good movie. And I really like you said it right at the top of nobody is watching this. And I don't know if it can. It came out at a bit of a odd time because so it played at Sundance first, which is where I saw it. And then when it actually got released, it was such a quiet vod release um i think they did a very very limited theatrical run like only a few theaters had it uh and like in toronto for example i think it played at i think it played at the review cinema um which is just an independent a very small independent chain so so you know movie play or movieplex what is it called Cine- cineplex. cineplex cineplex and like t- even tiff lightbox i don't think was was playing it at the time and i think the reason for that was because everything everywhere all at once was going on so that they came out around the same time and a24 um is not the greatest at marketing sometimes and obviously everything everywhere all at once did so well and i love that movie too don't get me wrong but um, it kind of overshadowed After Yang, which I think is such a shame because After Yang is such a great, great movie. Um, and I, yeah, I, I wish more people would watch it. And I hope maybe as the year goes on, maybe it'll pick up some more steam. I'm not sure. Have you seen Columbus before? I don't remember. I have. Yeah, okay. I have. I have. Yeah. And it was like great. And I, a lot too? I, I loved it. I really, really loved it. I think the reason I watched it, I, I didn't know who Cognato was at the time. I watched it because of John Cho. And I just thought, oh, like John Cho's in a movie. That's cool. So I, I went to go watch it. And it's it's beautiful. Like it, it's got the same that the word delicate you used. I really like that word to describe these movies. Like I think it's it's just very delicate. And and there's a, a nice beauty to that. And Koganata actually, he directed a few episodes of a TV show on Apple called uh, Pachinko. Have you have you caught up with that? No, I haven't. But I know he w- he did the work on that him and justin chan who did uh blue bayou and that series is amazing too like hoganaut is amazing i would now after like so uh, when i went to watch columbus it was because of john cho 
Um, but now whenever I see something with Koganot in it, I'm, I'm down, down for the cause to watch his stuff. Cause he's incredible. He hasn't missed yet. I don't think for me anyways. No, he's two for two. I, I yeah. one last moment I kind of want to point out is, mm-hmm. you know, despite this being such a, you know, a delicate movie about, uh, grief and memory and all this sort of stuff, there's this fantastic scene <laughs> where, uh, Yang, the, the robot asks Colin Farrell about why he loves tea. And, <laughs> and so it's a very interesting one. And, uh, as a tea lover myself, Rachel, I don't know if you know this, um, <laughs> Colin Farrell's talking about because he's a tea merchant and he's talking yeah. about what he likes and he's trying to put into words of why he's dedicated himself to a career in tea. And then he does this Werner Herzog impression from a documentary <laughs> he saw about tea. And like it is just about it's the great. most absurd thing, yeah. but it's so good. There's this part in the film, it's a great part, where the man is explaining to his German friend. Why it's so difficult for him to describe the taste of tea, he says, there's no language for it. There are no words to adequately express the mysterious nature of tea. And his German friend, who's just standing right beside him with a cup of tea, says, yes, but I I imagine things like you are walking through a forest and there are leaves on the ground and it just had rained and the rain has stopped and it's damp and you walk... And somehow, that is all in this tea. I Colin Farrell, I think, is oddly one of like such an underrated actor, and I think it, it's he kind of fits into the same category as Jude Law for me, where I feel like their tabloid antics really displaced any goodwill they had for their acting. And now that they're older and mm. a lot more calm, and you know, not really in the the, the papers as much anymore. Um, I think now we're really people can appreciate them more a little bit without any kind of outside influence, which is, uh, excuse me, which is a bit of a, a shame almost because I feel like they've always the both of them have always been really great. And Colin Farrell, his co- comedic ability is is has always been amazing, but he never really chooses too much comedy. Yeah. Like in Bruges is was probably the one where people went, oh, like he's actually really funny, but he's yeah. great, and I I love it too when he when he uses his Irish accent. Cause you don't see that too often from him. Um, so I love when you just kind of hear him speak and just kind of be who he is. Like I, I enjoy that. He's got that. such really a great like accent. It is. It's a really lovely, like, I think it's a bit pared down now, obviously over the years. Cause I don't know if he lives in Ireland anymore, but like, it's a really nice, just Dublin kind of accent. And I was watching mm-hmm. not too long ago, what was that movie intermission. And he's an, and Killian Murphy too, isn't it? Like it's, it's a very young Colin Farrell, very young Killian Murphy. It's an Irish movie. And like all, it's not just the two of them. It's like every big Irish actor is in it. And you can hear both of their accents are so thick. Like Colin Farrell's Dublin accent's super thick. Killian Murphy's Cork accent's really thick. It's great. If you haven't watched that movie, go watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, I've not. It's all excellent. Right, so I assume is, is after Yang on your list? Was that your first movie or are we still talking about my first movie? We're still talking about your first movie um, because <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I, I decided not to include any of mine. But so I'm going kind of completely on the other end of the spectrum. You went from kind of a smaller indie quiet film. And my first pick is Ambulance. That's my brother, Will. I could use some help. My wife needs this surgery. This is real life. How's that right? You put your life down on the line for this country. You leave your family, your home. How much do you need? 231. How about more? 32 million. 
Now I need an extra man. I came to you for a loan. Look, have I ever gotten you anything that I couldn't get you out of? It's time for you to do something for your family. Which <laughs> from Michael Bay. It's the return of Michael Bay. It's starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. I wasn't expecting this to be on any of my lists going after when I went into the theater to watch it. It is just the most ridiculously fun movie to watch. And it's it's Michael Bay in that it's there's a, there's explosions but not really big explosions. That was probably my biggest critique of the movie was there's not enough explosions because it's a Michael Bay movie and everything should be blowing up and there should be massive plumes of smoke and just fire everywhere because it's Michael Bay. But what he did do though was he so it's set in LA, obviously the movie's set in LA. And the camera work that he does, he's just like whipping around buildings and like soaring down them. And it's incredible. And I looked it up and Michael Bay hired these like YouTubers that he saw who are drone operators to do the camera work for him, to do the drone work for him in this movie. So those two, like they're like kind of young people were just like having the time of their lives using a drone that Michael, and then just having Michael Bay tell them like, do whatever you want basically. And it's an incredible, incredible ride. I had so much, I watched it in theaters and I had so much fun with it because the, the script is so cheesy and it's so cornball, but it kind of feels like Michael Bay is just leaning into that side of things. Like he, not to say he knows he's a joke because it's not a joke, but it's like he leans into his stereotype and he just does it. Like he turns it up to 11 and it is so fun. And Jake Gyllenhaal known for being a bit more serious and a bit more, you know, you know, quite, a, I, I think of him with like a, a deep timber almost. He is just chewing up all the scenery in this one. And you can tell how much fun he's having just being off his face throughout, like being like a menace in this movie. I think for me, it was one of, the, I think it was the first kind of what I would consider the big blockbuster of the year, like kind of leading into the summer blockbusters. Um, and I just thought it was an immense amount of fun and I hadn't had that much fun in a movie theater, I think to that point for a number of years because of COVID obviously. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Did you get to watch this one? I never knew. I never asked you if you did. Uh, no, I, I have not seen it. This, this, this is a type of movie that falls more into the Rachel category. than Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing redeeming for it for you, but it's really fun. It's a really great movie. Yeah, it it was one where I you know, I saw the first trailer and I'm just like, "Ugh, another Michael Bay movie." What? Like, yeah. Obviously, his camera work is always very interesting. He he does film explosions and car chases and action stuff very interestingly. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but always interestingly. It's so And extra. it came out Yeah, and and it came out and people were like, "This movie, you know, isn't so bad." But it's it's almost like you're grading on a curve of Michael Bayness of mm-hmm. is this The Rock and Pain and Glory or is this you know Transformers Two sort of thing? And so it's like how how do you how do you grade Michael Bay when you know what he his style is and you know what to expect? And it's like okay, so I know I have to go into this movie, I have to turn my brain off, I have to be wowed by the the explosions and the action. And the plot just has to be coherent enough that I don't go, but what about this plot hole at the end? And oh, you do that still. 
you do that still on this <laughs> and i and i imagine so but i was quite surprised the amount of people that came out being like yeah. you know this is a, this is a pretty fun movie i know you've kind of been i don't want to say a champion of this movie but you definitely <laughs> whenever it's come up and like ambulance is a decent movie guys like it's not bad it's i think it's also the timing as well like like i said it was after COVID, I think this, I would consider this kind of the first real summer blockbuster, it, taking away the Marvel movies, because I don't even know if I would consider Marvel movies specifically summer blockbuster, just because they release them throughout the whole year. Whereas like their Michael Bay movies to me is like, they're, those are summer movies. Um, and I think it's just kind of a, a nice timing of audiences were looking because they were allowed out again, and you could go into movie theaters and you just kind of wanted something fun and stupid to watch that wasn't too serious, that didn't remind you of what was going on outside of the movie theater. And then couple that with the fact that I'm sure for the actors, like for Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Michael Bay too, and like um, Isa Gonzalez, she's in it as well. It's like they were also cooped up for a time as well and not able to work and not able. So this kind of just felt like this giant release for everybody of just nonsense, popcorn fun. It's just nonsense. Like there's nothing to it. There's nothing to think about. There's no deep thought. Nothing like after Yang. It's just mm-hmm. fun though. Like it's absolutely nothing like after Yang. But it, it's an incredible ride to watch, and especially watching in a movie theater. It's just fun. Like it was just a really, really fun movie. And I don't know if it'll end up on like my top ten towards the end of the year. But now that because I decided not to include any of the actual five that I picked before. Um, I was very happy that I was able to include Ambulance because I really do enjoy the movie. Nice. Okay, well, let's go to my second pick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, let's just keep the, the Colin Farrell train rolling. And uh, The Batman is my number two. I hey. uh, I was super excited for this one. I've loved Matt Reeves' past few films, his his planet, his new Planet of the Apes, uh, not trilogy because he only did the second two, the last two, not the first mm-hmm. one absolutely phenomenal they they had no reason being as damn good as they were he completely elevated the 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 first new one was good and he took it good to great to amazing like i i've never seen a trilogy go on on i'm using this word again upward trajectory in (laughs) such a way before and it was just incredible what he did there with with those two films so him Directing the Batman movie was, I think, a fantastic choice. And, you know, Kristen Stewart, unfortunately, has had a bit more trouble getting past her Twilight era than Robert Pattinson did. I remember when Pattinson was first announced as playing Bruce Wayne and Batman a couple of years ago, there was a little bit, there was still those murmurs of, yeah, but it's Robert Pattinson. Can he do that? I don't think so. He's that Twilight guy, isn't he? But I think... There's been there's been enough conversation to drown out. Hey, don't say that. Have you seen the lighthouse? Have you seen um, his work with David Cronenberg? Have you seen you know Good Time on yeah. and on and on Good Time? Yeah, have you seen it? All these movies. He is a phenomenal actor, and there was enough presence on the internet in the general discourse on our movies to kind of clamp down that. Hey, but he's a Twilight guy. Kristen Stewart still kind of had to do it this past year when she was in contention for the Oscar and people hadn't seen Spencer and they're like, but isn't she the twilight girl sort of thing, which is very frustrating and annoying. Cause she is a phenomenal actress. And so hearing Ron Patton, the Batman, Matt Reeves, director, 
Colin Farrell's going to be the Penguin and Paul Dano's going to be the Riddler. It's like, okay, I really like all these pieces there. And what I appreciate it most about this movie is more than any other Batman movie, Batman started out as a detective. His mm-hmm. first comic that he appeared in was called Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. We we see a little bit of, of that in the, the Chris Nolan movies, but not really. You know, it's like type stuff in a computer. Oh, yeah, this is what the surveillance cameras are showing us. This is what you need to do. Whereas in the Batman, they actually show him finding clues, taking pictures of them, documenting what he needs, trial and error, trying to solve puzzles and mysteries, tracking things down, all this sort of stuff that you'd want from an actual detective movie and something that we like very rarely get even in actual quote unquote detective movies. We don't really get the work. And yeah. and it's why I, I love movies like All the President's Men and Spotlight where they actually show the work of journalism of what these writers, these journalists have to do. That's why I like them. Same reason why I like the Batman so much. Showing me the detective work that he has to do in order to catch these criminals is what makes this movie for me. And the fact that it's a, a, a neo-noir, oh, Chef's kiss, <laughs> cherry on top, everything. Love it. I love Batman too. I mean, Batman is my favorite superhero comic, whatever. Like, um, it, and I agree with you about Matt Reeves and the Planet of the Apes movies, the two that he did. Like you said, the first one was good. It was very, very good. But the second and mm-hmm. third were absolutely phenomenal. So when I heard it was Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson. I was so excited. And then you find out, I think the, you know, kind of bringing it back to Colin Farrell, which is, you know, what we're talking about, who we were talking about before when he was announced as penguin, that surprised the crap out of me. I didn't, I think they announced he was going to be in it. And then a lot of people thought he might be Riddler. A lot of people thought he might be, uh, I don't know who else they thought, but like, I, cause I think at the same time, Jonah Hill was also rumored to be in it. And everyone just kind of, in a sense, lazily assumed, oh, well, Jonah Hill's, he'll, he'll be Penguin then, obviously. That's why he's in yeah. it. Um, but obviously, Jonah Hill didn't end up being in it at all. And then Colin Farrell, though, his transformation to become Penguin. Well, he wasn't Penguin yet. I should I should say that. Like, he isn't actually the Penguin yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but his interpret, like, his, the, the prosthetics that he used, the accent that he used, there's a really comical moment where he's like tied up and he kind of waddles a little bit he's great like he's so good in it and the cinematography of batman was incredible like the it was so operatic this movie that i like i I saw i've seen it like three four times now and it's a long movie (laughs) and i just keep watching it because it's such a beautiful it's Gotham in a way that I don't think we've ever seen it before. And you can really live in Gotham in that sense. Like, and I think that's why I play it so much as I'm not paying attention to every single minute of it, but it's just kind of like one of those movies that's just nice to see it and just kind of have it on in the background. Um, I echo though what you were saying about the the detective thing. Cause I recently saw somebody comment on a Batman post being like, Oh, well, like, I don't understand what the point of it. Like I didn't, I don't, I don't watch the Batman, like just, just to do detective work and somebody commented being like he's literally called the world's best detective like that is his Mm -hmm. tagline is he's the world's best detective and it surprises me how many people i guess who never read the comics or like didn't maybe they're they're too young to have watched um maybe some of the older like the tv show the the animated stuff who don't really realize that he is supposed to be a detective um so i'm really glad that reeves brought that back and 
Pattinson, he was great. He was, he was, I wasn't sure how he was going to be as Batman. I didn't think he was going to be bad, but I was curious to see kind of what his interpretation was going to be. And I like that they decided to make him a little bit younger and he's a little emo. Like he's not, he's not play playboy Bruce Wayne just yet. He doesn't have that charisma yet. Uh, so, uh, and in that sense, it's really exciting to see where they're going to go from here. Um, apparently there's rumors that it's going to be the court of owls, which if anyone is familiar with that storyline, it is phenomenal. And if they're going to do that, I think that it's going to be an incredible trilogy series. I don't know what they're doing, but yeah, I, I can't wait for more of that. It, that's a great pick. And I think it was in one of my honorable mentions when I did the that shelf article, I believe it was an honorable mention. Um, well, what's your next pick? So we went from small indie to blockbuster to another blockbuster. And I'm going to go back to a smaller indie. And this is actually a movie that you were saying about the Japanese film festival, how some of the movies came out like one or two years ago. Uh, This movie came out two years ago in Greece and it's called apples in English. Um, But it just got its Canadian release like a few weeks ago. And it's directed by apologies. My Greek is not there. Christos Nico. Um, And it's his directorial debut. It is a movie about an epidemic of amnesia in, we actually don't know how far it spreads. It could just be Athens, Greece, the world. They don't really say it, but it takes place in Athens. And basically they're, they're finding an occurrence of people just waking up one day and not having any memory. They have no clue who they are, what they're doing, where they are. Um, And if, a if your family or nobody comes to claim you at the hospital after a certain period of time the hospital has a program that they've set up it's called new identity program and they give you a list of tasks to do as part of your treatment and the treatment is not necessarily to rekindle your memories so that you can grab them back and like quote unquote cure you because they they kind of have assumed we can't cure this if you've lost your memory and you and you don't have anybody coming to claim you, well, probably your memories are never going to come back. But it's just a way of reintegrating you back into society and giving you a new foundation. So they're given tasks like uh, go ride a bike, go drive a car, go to a nightclub, go to a strip club, um, get drunk, have a one night stand, those kinds of things. And similar to After Yang, it's a really, really quiet movie. It's quite funny as well. Like Apples is 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 very darkly humored, but it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, but it's a movie I watched it, and I literally haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. And it reminds me a bit of kind of how I felt after watching Nine Days last year, where I just watched it, and all I wanted to do was watch it again, and I just kept thinking about it. It's an incredible movie. It's not. I don't think it's going to be the easiest movie in the world to find. It might be on VOD now in Canada, actually. Um, but if you are at all like interested in kind of quiet meditative type films, this is a great one and it is two years old, but I'm counting it cause it just got released in Canada this year. I've never heard of this and it sounds incredible. I just quickly looked it up. He, uh, the director did work, uh, as a second unit director on dog tooth. So he has worked with Greece's other very famous director, Yorgos Lanthimos, mm-hmm. And also, he he worked on Before Midnight, which is interesting, which is very cool. Oh, yeah, I didn't that's, know that. A, that's, yeah, just as a second unit director, it's yeah. such a such an interesting concept, and and definitely one that's uh, on my radar now that I hadn't heard of. So, uh, thank you for that. No problem. It's a great one. I think I think you'd like this one too. And it's like, I I like the humor that they inject into it, and there is a bit of a slight bit of mystery involved as well. And I won't 
kind of go too far into it, but there is a bit of like a question mark of what's going on in the movie in general. Um, mm-hmm. But it's incredible. And yeah, any, anybody who's, I think they also, they submitted this movie back in 2020 for Greece's entry into the, uh, for the international film category at the Oscars and it didn't get okay. accepted. Um, but it is incredible. It's, it's, it's very, very good. Cool. Okay. Well, my next movie uh, is one that uh, I'm guessing did not make your list because you probably made your that shelf list. List I haven't looked at it, but uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> it is, did make my is, that shelf list. Yes, it did. There we go. I'm not surprised. This is this seems to be the movie of the year so far. One that if you're a cinephile, you are lining up to go see this one right away. People likely had seen the Daniels earlier film, Swiss Army Man, or uh, one of the Dan- one half of the Daniels, The Death of Dick Long, and he- they've got such a unique pop culture style that is unlike anything else today. And while this movie didn't quite hit me in the feels quite as hard as it was hitting some people, the sheer brilliance and imagination that they have of this multiverse world that they have created and the depths that they are willing to go to make such a unique one of a kind product is just absolutely mind boggling of, of how their brains work and the, the set pieces I can explain to you, you know, the fight scene, the stuff happening in the restaurant, the Wong Kar Wai um, <laughs> homages, the uh, sausage fingers, hot dog fingers, the rocks, <laughs> everything like that. And it still wouldn't do it justice of what this movie actually is. It's got so much humor and heart and literally some of the best action scenes I've seen in the last few years. I love the fact that they actually allow the editing to breathe in this movie and and you actually get to see everything because that, that's such a co- common complaint about modern action films is you actually can't see the fighting. You, you don't mm-hmm. know what's going on. There's so many edits, so many cuts, all that sort of stuff here. You actually get to see it all. And it's, it's amazing. And Michelle Yeoh getting such a juicy meaty part in North American cinema is amazing. Obviously, if you're a fan of, her uh, her Chinese filmography, you know what a talent she is. And and it seems like we're finally giving her the proper due in Hollywood that she has deserved for the last 30 plus years. Yeah, that's an incredible movie. And I think I'll, I'll say too, even though I think I am the demographic that that movie was supposed to hit right in the feels, I didn't get the feels as much as I've heard from some other people, which just makes me think there might be something wrong with me. Um, But it was just an incredible film from the Daniels. Like I was, I had the chance to speak with them and I did read some other interviews that they did. And like, they were talking about how the movie was kind of, um, especially for Daniel Kwan, it was his realization of his own mental health issues. So from being, you know, kind of having um, um, ADHD, that's why the movie is so frenetic in that sense, because it's, it's him kind of embracing um, how his brain works and putting that onto film, which I found added an incredible different layer to the movie. Like if you watch through that lens, I think the movie becomes a lot richer in that sense. Like if you know, when you know what um, Daniel Kwan in particular is, was trying to go for, 
it kind of all makes sense why the movie is the way that it is. Uh, it's it's remarkable though, and I I love Michelle Yeoh. She's one of she's been one of my favorites for a very 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 long time in my life, and so yeah, it's nice to see her um, getting you know her dues in Hollywood because um, she deserves it. And you, she did a really great interview with um, I think GQ, one of those uh, retrospectives about all of the mm-hmm. movies that she's done, and she gets like quite emotional talking about everything everywhere all at once, just saying like it's the role that she's always wanted to play. It's a thing. Cause like even, even with her Hong Kong movies, um, I don't know if she's gotten a role this meaty before. Like she's done some extraordinary work, but this is one yeah. that it extends her. Like it, it asks of her to do everything, like all of the emotions, all the action, all the humor. And she's done that in individually in different movies and maybe like yeah. a combination thereof. But this movie really brings it all together. Um, yeah, it's in, it's incredible. It's a great movie, and I'm it's it's really cool how much this movie has caught on as well. Even though I was saying that it kind of overshadowed after Yang, which I do think is a bit mm-hmm. of a shame. Um, yeah, it's extraordinary how well this movie's done. Like, it, I don't think anybody thought it would do this well. It's about but, to be re-released in theaters. Yeah, that's nuts. And and they're doing yeah. um like a Hong Kong style blooper reel, reel at the end, which I think is yeah, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and to go on your point there about Michelle Yeoh being so grateful for this sort of role, you can like literally if this was anyone in the lead, I think they would sort of be the same thing. We we rarely so often get to see multifaceted natures of actors in the same film. They're they're mm-hmm. often only tasked with only being able to give one or two different styles or types of performance. And this it's it's a little bit of everything. You could probably maybe name you know, a couple dozen actors in their entire career who have gotten a part as good as Michelle Yeoh got in this this film. Like yeah. it's crazy. It's like which is a got- damn shame that there's not more movies yeah. that are this damn good. It's true. Like it's they're just not written like this. You know, like they're just not no. written to be this nuanced or this interesting. And it's funny. Like all of the little bits of it. Like even the really absurdist humor it lends it's not just there for the sake of being absurd like it actually adds to what the story is trying to get at and it does go really off the rails at some point like really really off the rails at some point mm-hmm. but it it comes back together really really nicely and it's incredible like i i haven't i i love reading scripts i haven't actually read the script for this one i probably should it sounds like it should be a good one to to look into but yeah excellent pick it's a good it's a great movie um thank you well what's your next pick I'm going to go again a bit smaller. And this is a Canadian movie called Ash Grove. I saw this at the Canadian Film Festival. Uh, it's directed by Jeremy Lalonde. And it stars Amanda Bruegel and Jonas Chernick. I mentioned this movie to you and I told you I think that you would really like this. It is a bit of a... It's a bit of a mystery movie. Like there is an, a, a pandemic involved in this, unfortunately. Um, but it is a pandemic on the world's uh, water supply and it's tainted. And Amanda Bruegel plays a scientist who kind of, she's the only one that they've said like in the movie, she's the only one that can solve the problem. And if obviously water being so crucial to humans, um, we need a, a clean water supply to drink. So the movie is, I don't really want to give anything away. It's it's that's the main storyline, but there is a secondary story that's going on at the same time that you get pieces of like hints 
at throughout the film and then it eventually ties together in the end. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was just really fascinating. Like it really kept my interest. It kept me, it, I was very, very captivated by it. I'll say the third act for me, like right. And when I say third act, I mean like the last few minutes of the movie kind of let down the, the movie as a whole for me a little bit. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's such a good movie. And I think it's going to be one of those Canadian movies that, um, you know, next year when we, when we talk about the Canadian screen awards, like this should be one that comes up quite often. Yeah. I, I really need to watch this one. I'm, I'm sad. I haven't found time to do it. I I really need to see it. And I wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being, you know, one of the, the maybe probably top two or three movies that will be Canadian films that we've talking about next year as uh, as the ones that uh made the most noise yeah i hope it is and i i don't know what the theatrical releases or if there are plans for one um my guess is there should be probably a smaller one because it did very very well um at the festival so yeah if i mean if it's ever if you ever see it playing i would highly recommend it um but what's your next pick so my next pick is hilariously probably uh, of all of them, the, the least Dakota one you would expect. Is and this when Morbius that, comes up? This is when Morbius is This in, is right? when Morbius does <laughs> not come up. Top Gun Maverick. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Oh, whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. Nice. You know what? So you say that I actually kind of thought if I had to guess which movies were going to be in your top five, I would have put Maverick in there. Yeah, I, I, a little bit of a story time. I had never seen the original Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Had no interest in it. Didn't really care. Top Gun Maverick is coming out. No interest. Zero care. I don't even think I watched a trailer in the you know two plus years that they've been trying <laughs> to release this movie. Didn't care at all. No, no interest whatsoever. And then this movie came out and well, before it came out when critic screams were happening and critics were like, wow, this movie is really, really good. Way better than it has any business being. I'm just like, all right. Yeah, I'm cool. Sure. I'm, I'm sure it's good. You know, a lot of people have a real fondness for the original Top Gun. I have no interest in it. So I'm sure if you're a fan of that, you'd probably like this. Great. Good for you. And then it comes out and audiences are like, holy crap. This is way better than the original. I can't believe this. This is insane i'm just like okay well that's interesting and so one day steph and i were talking and somehow it comes up i was like you know i i kind of have a bit of a inkling that i I wouldn't mind watching this maybe and she's like you know what i was gonna say the same thing i kind of want to see it too i was like okay well do you want to go see it like tomorrow or something she's like yeah let's do that i'm like all right well i've never seen the first one so let's just watch the first one right now (laughs) we put it on first top gun it's fine it's interesting. It's whatever. It's it's very 80s. It's very cheesy. It's good enough. Can I ask, um, had Steph seen it? Had Steph seen the original? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
I think she liked it, but didn't have any sort of reverence to it, like mm-hmm. a lot of people have. I cannot believe how damn good this movie is. And I realized afterwards that I should not be shocked considering Tom Cruise's films the last, I don't want to say full decade, but just under a decade. I think he has really tried to cement himself as the greatest action star ever with no hyperbole. I think that is his goal, Mm -hmm. the greatest action star ever, while also having the greatest action movies ever. And they are two different things. Mm -hmm. And I think he is trying to do both and he is succeeding. The last couple of Mission Impossible movies have really cemented how much he gives a damn about the craft of movie making. And it's not just about the explosions or the punching or, you know, the stunts or whatever. It's about that. But the movie has to be good. It has to make sense. It has to feature strong, compelling characters. It has to have antagonists that make sense. It has to have camera work that actually makes you go, wow. Not just like, oh, hey, Tom Cruise climbed a building. Yeah, well, we're going to make that the literally best looking thing you have ever seen before. Because they could have just done that with a helicopter, whatever, is fine. No, when he hangs on a plane, when he climbs up a building, when he's diving in a deep pool, it's going to be the greatest looking thing you've ever seen. And the fact that they did that with this, it, looking back, I'm just like, what, what an idiot. How could I have not expected? And it actually kind of all worked out in favor for me because I had never seen any of the trailers. Like, literally, I literally did not watch any Top Gun Maverick trailers. I watched it the day after watching the first one. I was surprised by everything. I didn't know that Miles Teller was supposed to be Goose's son. That was a surprise to me. <laughs> I didn't know who was going to be back in it. I didn't know the connections that was all going to be. All of it. It was amazing. I loved it. I really love this movie too. Um, I was very excited. This was another one that I was really excited for you to watch and I hope that you would like. And I had a bit of on my side of like, mm, he might not like it because I don't know. It's your thing. <laughs> but then fair. when you said you didn't like the original Top Gun, I was kind of like, yeah, I get it. Because I think I, I, I don't, I'm very indifferent to the original Top Gun, to be honest. I don't have a, a massive love for it, but I don't think it's terrible either i just i think people have a lot they hold a lot of nostalgia for that movie um for various reasons like it was kind of a a cultural touchstone for a time um but what you said about tom cruise like wanting to be that guy like and and really wanting to cement his legacy and he's been doing it too like that's one thing is you could talk all you want or you know have that ambition as much as you want but like the fact that he's actually doing it is insanely impressive and then add on his age to the fact like he's not 20 30 years old like he's an older gentleman at this point and he's still doing it like and he's doing it better than like i'm gonna bring up a movie recently released um the gray man Uh, have you had a chance to see that one yet no zero interest it's, I only watched it because Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling are in it, if I'm completely honest. I was like, yeah, the Breaker High guy's in it. It's going to be cool. Um, <laughs> when you watch that movie, it's like you have a very deep appreciation for what Tom Cruise does for um, action film. Because in that movie, they have a very, very Mission Impossible Tom Cruise style stunt where they jump off a plane. And I can't remember which mission it is that he does that now. I think it's in... I, w- I want to say the, the um, shoot, which one is it? The Do you know which one I'm talking about? The one that they do the big plane jump and the cameraman jumps off with him? Like there's a really cool oh, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's basically and what they were those, like crazy suits. Yes, it's so cool, right? And like, and you know, it's Tom Cruise, and it, and the way that they film it, they only can do it that way because Cruise is a bit insane and saying like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Like, we're gonna jump off this plane. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be great." And then you see someone try to attempt it, like in The Gray Man. You see the Russo brothers, and it's obviously not Ryan Gosling jumping off. And you you just realize how good Tom Cruise is and just how devoted he is. Like, as much as his extracurriculars kind of um, threaten to take him down as who he is as, a, as an actor, but you cannot deny the fact that the man is incredibly passionate about filmmaking. And there's a line in Maverick, too, which I thought was so pointed like it was basically like he may as well just stared right into the camera when he responded but i think it was with ed harris or maybe it was with john ham i can't remember one of those two characters and they basically said like you're a dying breed maverick Mm -hmm. like you know and then he goes not today (laughs) like not today (laughs) and you could just see him like saying yeah we know the movie industry is trying to push me out like i know that i'm aging out of these types of things but i'm still here and i'm still gonna do this and I respect the hell out of him for it. I really do. Like, he's a he's a phenomenal actor as well. And there was a time that he was doing a lot of Oscar Beatty type of movies. Like, that would be in, like, the late 90s. Um, and never really got the the critical side of that. Like, the awards side of things. And I kind of feel like he just said, okay, fine. Like, I'm just going to be the best action star. And then when my body won't let me do this anymore, I kind of feel like we're going to see him go back to doing those, those more dramatic roles. Um, but I... Yeah, I think Tom Cruise is kind of very surprisingly, if you are around the same age as Dakota and I, it's like, we grew up in a time where Tom Cruise was a bit iffy at one point. He has aged remarkably well, like not just in terms of his face or his body or whatever, but just in terms of who he is and what he means to the film industry. He's aged very, very well. And um, I, I, I completely agree with you. Maverick is, I think, one of the better films that's come out this year. Absolutely. Well, what is your next pick? I'm going to go for a, again, a a bit of a smaller movie. I think Ambulance, I set it off as saying I'm doing all blockbusters, but I just realized (laughs) it's not. Um, The next one is a movie by Cooper Rafe called Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I can't believe college is over. You have a job now? We're not allowed to talk about jobs at the Bob Party. So you either don't have a job or you have a bad job. How much does a party starter get paid, I wonder? I have a bad job. Yeah. Honey, I'm not just saying this because I'm your mother, but I feel like you're way ahead of the game. It is a terrible title, in my opinion, for a movie, Um, but it's a movie with Cooper Rafe and Dakota Johnson. Um, I didn't really have any expectation going into it. It is a very coming-of-age story. It is a bit rom-com-y. It's a smaller film. It's a quieter movie it's set in Long Island. It is about a younger guy, Cooper Rafe, who's uh, just graduated from college and not quite sure what he's doing, where he's going, kind of that very typical role. But then to me, what makes the movie really interesting is that there's kind of a double layer of coming of age. Dakota Johnson plays a 30 something woman who has a child uh, and is getting married. Um, she's engaged and, and all that stuff. So, but she's dealing with a lot of her own personal issues. So it kind of feels like an overlap of two coming of age films in two different decades of people's lives. It's a really, really well done movie. It's very sweet. Um, it's, it's very funny as well. There's a lot of great humor in it. And 
I think it, it caught on. Like, I think it did pretty well. Like I know um, Thomas was really big on it. I think out of Sundance, he really enjoyed it. And yeah, it deserved all that hype. I think out of Sundance, it's a, it's a truly incredible movie. Yeah, it's one I I liked. I didn't love. I, w- I maybe my expectations were were too high. I haven't seen Cooper Rafe's first movie, Shit House. I really want to. Uh, and friend of the show, Thomas Stoneham Judge, was super high on this yeah. movie, and like he saw a super early screening of it. I, I think he saw the Sundance one, and has been just absolutely giddy about it and ready to like recommend this to everyone. <laughs> and I saw, it and I haven't, I, I haven't told him. Yet. I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but. Uh, it was it was fine. It was good. <laughs> uh, that's about it. I think this is one of those movies though that the hype will kill it. Like it is. I think it's a good movie if you when you go into it. Like I did. Like I genuinely, I knew I'd heard of it out of. I knew that people liked it out of Sundance. I didn't know very much about it, and I didn't really have too many like anyone really telling me go go watch this. Like this is the greatest thing ever. Um. So when I watched it, it just really blew me away. But I could see why the ex, like the hype might kill this one a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I uh I do like Cooper Rafe. He's a he's a good he's a good actor, good writer, good director, but uh yeah, I wish it did more for me, but it didn't. He's doing a hockey movie next. That might be more I I saw yeah, I just saw that announcement yesterday. Who yeah. uh, who got cast in it? Uh someone, um, someone interesting. I believe it is David Harbour from Stranger Things. Right. And 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 many other things. Um and I think what's his name? I think it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid is in it as well. I could be right. Wrong, that's though. what I saw. Is that who it say, is? Yeah. yeah, Cooper Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know his name. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman's child. Oh, I know exactly what this is about. Okay, yeah. there was there was a documentary that came out uh, last year or something like that. I think it's on Netflix uh, about this. It's about this uh, independent hockey team that is owned by the mafia, and they basically uh, just pay ex goon fighter guys to play for their team and the son the 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 team is run by like the mafia boss's son or something like that yeah it wasn't it it's like it's so stereotypical in the sense like i think that they're like the they're the 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 father's like the guy the father of the son who owns the team he's he owns like a waste management Yes. Yeah, which is like so <laughs> Sopranos. It is the most stereotype. I always thought that that stereotype was just a movie stereotype, but I, I mean, they are based off something, I suppose. But I remember this is a real tangent, but like I remember going to um, Naples. This is years ago, and that people were like, "Yeah, the mafia still runs Naples," kind of thing, and the, there was just garbage everywhere. And they said the reason for that is is because the mafia genuinely does run the the waste like the waste facilities kind of stuff, the resources there still. And so if they are not working, well, nobody else would dare touch it and dare try to clean it up. And I just, I find it highly amusing that this really ongoing stereotype about Italian mobs is actually very true. Like they do run waste management facilities. I find that fascinating. Yeah, so I'm I'm very excited for that. It's, it looks like it's going to be wildly different than than his previous yeah. two movies, which are very uh, personal, intimate uh, dramas, drama dramedies, really. And yeah. it looks like he's probably. I'm guessing he's probably going to go full comedy with this one. I mean, with David Harbor too, because I think David Harbor is very very funny. So I think like I I don't I don't watch Stranger Things, so I don't know if he's funny in that. Um, but he, I he, he is at times. Is he? He always strikes me as a funny, funny, funny man, though. Like anytime I've seen him, I always just think he's funny. And so I, I feel like, yeah, it'll be a good 
I could see him kind of knowing what the story is. I could kind of, I see him, how he fits into the role very well. And I, I can't wait for it. I think it'll be great. Um, awesome. Okay. So my last pick. Well, you mean my last? Oh, pick? sorry. Your last pick. It's you again. Go ahead. <laughs> so this is also probably another, uh, not quite Dakota pick that you would expect, but, uh, one that I, I was quite pleased with. And that is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm. I I would never say I was a Nick Cage fan growing up. And I feel like uh, with Pig, I've been able to kind of reevaluate my thoughts and opinion on him. And I really want to go back and, and watch more of his films, especially since I ignored a lot of his movies and the ones I have seen to revisit them. I know, I know you're a Nick Cage fan. And this... I just sort of appreciate that this was like the perfect blend of satire and earnestness at the same time that cage was able to laugh at himself in such a way while still giving a true cage performance at the same time. I really appreciate it. And Pedro Pascal is showing time and time again. He is just one of the most fun and interesting actors working today and the pairing of the two of them is so good you you feel the palpable chemistry that they have with each other and you're like man like that's the type of friendship i want to have with someone i want (laughs) i want to have a a best friend the same way nick cage and pedro pascal are best friends in this movie sort of thing (laughs) were you too busy watching like rafifi and eight and a half to watch face off and the rock and and uh and all the good movies of the 90s is that what you were doing I've never seen eight and a half. You've never yet, seen eight so and a half. Thank you very much. No, I know. Oh. I know. I really do. I know. I, I know you think that you just defended yourself, but really, that's not cool. How have you not seen eight and a half? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know you like to laugh at my picks, but you also have seen all the same movies I have. That's crazy, though. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this movie too. Like you said, I, I I do enjoy the Nick Cage movies of of yesteryear. I think that he's always been a very misunderstood actor and kind of like him and Keanu Reeves, I've always kind of said are very similar in a way, but I actually would say Nick Cage, I think is a better actor than Keanu Reeves, even though I love Keanu a lot more, but like, I I actually think Nick Cage, when you see some of his other films, like, I mean, most recently with pig, right? Like you see that he's not just this wide eyed, crazy dude. Like he, he actually is, a very uh, I shouldn't say a very good actor he's a good actor but he also like really cares about acting and he cares about film and the, and the kind of the craft of it which I think is something that people that where people are pretty surprised by just given maybe his filmography or whatever but yeah that movie was really fun I really enjoyed it and I like like the room with all the different Nick Cage stuff um that oh, uh, that Pedro Pascal's character kept like yeah, it's a fun movie. That's another one. Like I think that we've had some nice blockbusters this year. It's a that that was always that was a really really good one. Um, yeah, considering that three of my picks are, are, are yeah quote blockbusters. Yeah, it has been a good year for them. Yeah, it's just I think it's nice. Like it's nice that with the movie theaters shut down and everyone saying you know oh movie theaters are dead, they're never coming back. But actually, they've made a crap ton of money this year because of those movies, um, which pleases me greatly and i like that it's not just like the mcu ones that kind of took over the movie theaters as well even though i know like thor did really well dr strange 2 did well um your favorite jurassic world is it called jurassic world Mm. no jurassic dominion yeah jurassic world domination whatever anyways that one apparently did well too so the clearly people are going out 
to watch them. Um, all right, so now my final pick is a documentary, and it is called Fire of Love. It's one that I think you should watch it if you haven't yet already, because I do think you'd really enjoy it. It's directed by Sarah Dosa, and it is about Katya and Maurice Kraft. They were two vul- okay, I have to make sure I say this right. Volcanoologists. Volcanologists. They study volcanoes. And um, <laughs> Katya was a chemist. Maurice was a geologist. And they were married. They're French. They were very, very famous in their time. They were very well known for taking just incredible footage of volcanoes and going like within feet of lava pits and right at the base of active volcanoes. And it's because of them, there's a lot more knowledge. I think they touch on it at the, towards the end of the film about you can't stop a volcano. You can never actually predict when a volcano is going to explode. Um, but you can, there are some signs that you can pinpoint and, things that you can do to help evacuate the area uh, of people who happen to live in um, kind of like the danger zone around those, those volcanoes. So their work is actually very practically important. Um, but the, what the film does is not only show just some of the most spectacular footage I've ever seen. Like it's the film is done or the, a lot of the film footage is from the sixties and the seventies. So you'd think the quality wouldn't be great, but what Dosa did and her team, and so National Geographic ended up buying this um, movie. They, what do they call it? Like they digitized it, they treated it, and it's incredible what they did with the footage. Like I don't really understand the mechanics and the technical aspects behind how you do that, but like what they've done to make those old footage from 30, 40 years ago and to make it look as great as it is on camera and like and i i didn't see it in cinema i wish i had i i mean i still can i can go this weekend um it would look incredible like it would just look absolutely incredible the colors are really vivid and it's amazing what they were able to do what what the crafts were able to do and what they were able to capture um for a time when it wasn't that common to record every footstep you took every little thing that you did um, but they did it and and they did it really, really well. And there's a beautiful love story between the two. They're kind of quirky individuals, um, but they found each other, got married. And it's it's a, it's, a, it's a very touching movie. Like it's kind of, it's a touching movie about a couple who are very niche and very bumbling. Not, I shouldn't call them bumbling. They're, they're just very individual. Like they're, they're very unique people and they happen to find each other. Um, and then on top of that, just the footage is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I don't think anyone should be too shocked. It's released by Neon, and they also released the the fantastic documentary Apollo 11 a few mm-hmm. years ago, which similarly has incredible footage. So I'm seeing that in August. That, I'm very excited. Oh, um, I, I wish I could relive it. It is such a, a great movie. I, I really want to see Fire of Love. I'm excited to see it. It's probably it, if I was to make like a top five movies, I need that have already come out that I need to see. It would probably be near the top for me. Just as we were saying, like with Cha Cha Real Smooth, I think the hype can kind of kill a movie. I actually think Fire of Love you can't undersell it because, like, it the footage alone. If you don't take anything away from the movie other than look at this fantastic footage of volcanoes, yeah, like that's it. It's incredible. Like it's really, really great. And I don't know if it's been fitted for an IMAX viewing, but. Probably not, maybe not, but 
yeah, I, I would say if you can watch it on a massive screen, go watch it on a massive screen because I'm sure it's going to look incredible. Did you have any honorable mentions? I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, I'll just kind of very quickly lay them out there. I really enjoyed The Northman, the new Robert Eggers movie. I know some people were pretty mixed on it. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, it's fun. It's not as great as the first two, but still very good. A couple, I, uh, three movies I've seen during Fantasia have all been incredible. Polaris, which was a Canadian film. You and I interviewed the director, Casey Carthew, which is coming out soon and in a really interesting movie. Baby Assassins, a Japanese film. You watched it during the Toronto Japanese Film Festival. I watched it during Fantasia. I really enjoyed it. It's, a, it's John Wick-esque, yeah. uh, I'll say. Uh, you know, a behind-the-scenes look of what's it like to be an assassin, especially as a two young girls that are just graduating high school and they're forced to get part-time jobs as a cover. And so it's a very it's a very fun, light-hearted movie with some really good action sequences. And you get a kind of look at the behind the scenes, behind the curtain of the Assassin's World that like John Wick sort of does as well, but in a very different way. Uh, and then another one that probably no one will ever hear about again is a movie called Topology of Sirens. I really liked it. It's a very quiet movie about sound and music and sound effects and things like that. It's a bit of a mystery, a bit of a noir movie, but one that I really liked. Uh, and then... Probably the last one that I'll, I'll mention is Blue Island, which we we already talked about during Hot Docs, was it, I believe? Yeah, Hot Docs. Yeah, where I, I really like that one. A, a, a very interesting documentary about uh, Hong Kong and the people that are trying to protest Chinese overrule over Hong Kong. A uh, very interesting film that uh, I really enjoyed. But uh, those would probably be my my next five of ones that I, I really loved. Um, Blue Island was on my that shelf list. I think I don't remember what oh, number nice. I put it at, but like three or four or something like that. Obviously, I really enjoyed it. Um, Northman is actually one movie I still haven't seen. And I really do want to watch it. It's um, You were saying like there are a few, I mean, no one will ever watch every movie in a, in a given year, but um, at the top, you're just kind of naming some of the movies that you haven't seen yet. For me, it, that's The Northman is my, kind of my number one that I haven't seen, and I really, really, really want to watch it. Black Phone is another one, actually. I haven't gotten a chance to see that either. Mm, same. Uh, but my honorable mentions, uh, I'm going to start with Top Gun Maverick is in there. I really enjoyed it for all the reasons that we've already discussed. Um, yeah, it was a great, great, fun time at the movie theater. My second honorable mention is Apollo Ten and a Half, a space age childhood. Yeah, so that's a Netflix movie. It was directed by uh, Richard Linklater, and it's all rotoscope as well. And if you've ever seen a Scanner Darkly, which is, I don't want to misspeak, but I feel like it's his only other rotoscope movie at the minimum. I believe it's his first one, Um, and that it, it was done really, really well. Like the the imagery, it's it's great. But when you watch Apollo Ten and a Half like the technology has just gotten so much better now and it's incredible what that, and um, Glenn Powell is, his voice is in that as he is also in Top Gun. So there's a bit of a, mm-hmm. a connection there as well. Um, so I would definitely rec. I think you'd like it too. It's a nice movie. Um, and then my third honorable mention, the reason I didn't want to include it was because I literally had just seen it a few days ago and I feel like I need to digest it a little bit longer before I can add it to a list, but I wanted to mention it and that's Nope. Um, the new Jordan Peele movie. I liked it. It's definitely different from Get Out, different from Us. Um, it's a, it's, it's, it's probably his most 
um, visually impressive film. And it sounds real. I mean, you were just talking about sound and it sounds really stupid to like fixate on sound in a film. Um, but the sound design in that movie is incredible. Like it's absolutely incredible. So I, I put Nope in there a bit tentatively. There's a bit of an asterisk on there just in the sense of, I literally just watched it and I enjoy it, but I need a bit more time to marinate on it. But yeah, those are my honorable. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one too. I'm curious to see what you think. I'm very curious for this movie for Nope to see like what people think about it because everybody's been very divided like not i shouldn't say divided just people are feeling very different ways about it and i find it really interesting kind of what's come out of the movie so yeah i'd be i'd be very curious to see what you think about it yeah i'm uh i'm in a a a film chat group on on twitter and uh, a few of them were seeing nope recently and it's it's interesting watching them kind of argue back and forth (laughs) uh one one of the guys in it todd he is uh ready to fight anyone uh his comment was straps on boxing gloves with uh when one of the guys was like i have thoughts on this movie (laughs) (laughs) i like i honestly can see both sides of it like i can see why people kind of go into it go like what the hell was that like what did we just watch um but then like uh, to be completely honest the other side of it of people saying this is you know the greatest thing this year i'm like it's not that great it's good it's very very good movie mind you um but and there are some scenes in it like some individual bits in it that i think are some of the most anxiety inducing scenes i have seen in a in a very very long time like it's crazy awesome well rachel where can people find you in your work as always it is rachelkh.com and you can find me on twitter at underscore rachelkh Awesome. And you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Let us know what your favorite movies of the year are so far by sending an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.